Hey there, I'm Dan Weissman. I'm a radio reporter. Last year, I left a job. It broke my heart to leave. And there was this other thing that made it not just heartbreaking, but terrifying. Freaking health insurance. A little while ago, my wife and I had the talk. Um, so I've been doing some research on health insurance, and here's what I have so far. Oh, I'm almost scared to know. <laughs> I know, I know. My wife has her own business. It's a one-person shop, so keeping us insured has been my part of the deal. So when I left that job, I was like, crap, I may need a new career here, which sucked because I love being a reporter. But I actually did these exercises from a career change book. That was fun. And they all pointed to like, start a business. And I'm like, no thanks. I want a job, like a real job, one with health insurance. But then I did have this kind of crazy idea because there's this one story that I didn't see anybody else really addressing head on. Not full-time. It was the story I was living in real time. The way the cost of healthcare runs our lives. I mean, we hear a lot about the horror stories. Like that one where they charged the guy 100 grand after insurance. You hear that one? Yeah, me too. And we hear a lot about the politics. Democrats say this, Republicans say that. But I mean the everyday stories. The like, wait, does my insurance cover this? Stories. The random $500 blood test stories. The... I can't quit this horrible job stories, those stories, and what's behind them, and what they're doing to us, all of us. I decided to take a week, get it out of my system, have some conversations about creating a show about the cost of healthcare, basically ask some friends to talk me out of it. And they didn't, not quite. What did happen was, the minute I started telling people I was thinking about doing this show, everybody had a story of their own, like Pablo. He's a dad at my kid's school. I tell him about this idea one day after drop-off, and he's like, oh yeah, my wife makes a lot less money than I do, but the insurance coverage at her job is good. And he tells me this story. Their family moved a few years ago. Uh, We had a van, and as we were loading up the last pieces, I felt just a little bit short of breath. And that was new for him, and it was weird. He was in good shape. He called his doctor. She told him, come in. She does an EKG in the office. She leaves the office, and she comes back. And the one thing I remember was her holding the piece of paper and her hand was kind of shaking and she's tapping the paper with her finger and she says, you see this little blip here on on your EKG? You you had a heart attack. You have to be admitted. And I said, well, admitted when? And she said, right now. He had some pretty complicated surgery. Spent like a week in the hospital. By the time he left, the tab was about 300,000 bucks, which his insurance, the insurance from his wife's job, covered most of. But, he says, if he hadn't had the insurance, he wouldn't have called the doc. Frankly, I would have blown it off. And as one of the nurses told him, if he hadn't called, next time he felt that shortness of breath, he'd be dead. This kind of conversation kept happening. My friend Peter is a real estate developer. He makes good money, but he says his insurance plan sucks. He says his deductible last year was more than $13,000, and this year it's worse. And then he says, did I tell you about when I had the kidney stone last year? No. He put off getting help as long as possible because he's come to see the medical system as an unhelpful, terrifying, bureaucratic rip-off machine. When he got to the hospital, they gave him an MRI. And they told me exactly what I knew, that I had a kidney stone, and that uh, it was passing. And I'm like, thank you very much. And then I get the bill. Well, it was $6,500. Oh, my God. And you had it was all on you. It was all on me. It didn't help me in any way, shape, or form. Right. And then I'm left with this bill. Peter, one of the things that I find, um, you know, awful and delicious about this story is 
like it's not just you're a real estate developer, you know, you make a good salary. It's you're a real estate developer, like negotiating with people like, say, contractors who most people would never think they were slick enough to do is what you actually do for a living. Right. And I can't negotiate this system. My friend Nyla has great insurance. She's a state employee. Last year, she needed it. She got diagnosed with breast cancer at age 41. They did surgery, chemo, radiation, everything. But great insurance doesn't mean perfect. Early on, before her surgery, she got a bill for like $6,000. And I had a heart attack. Well, I mean, a lot, literally, obviously. But like, I mean, I opened it and I was already not in a good place. You know, there was a lot of crying. I opened the bill and I just started crying. A hospital social worker eventually helped get that straightened out. But later, there was a moment when the money woman from the hospital came up to Nyla in the emergency room and hit her up for like 2000 bucks. Nyla is savvy. She got that handled too, but it was no fun. And then at the end of the year, after all the treatment was done, there were these new bills, which was weird because she thought she'd paid her share, the deductible. I would log online. It would say, you've met your deductible. And then I huh. called them and they were like, oh, well, we don't actually really know if you've met your deductible. And I was like, what? What? And they were like, well, you've just had so many bills. We assume you've met it. I was just like, what? Yeah. Oh, and then there's the full year she spent haggling with her insurance about reimbursement for the wig she got when her hair came out. Still. I think I had a good experience. Honestly, I think I had a good experience. Like, I I know people, women my age, who have gone through breast cancer and had to create, like, GoFundMe campaigns to pay for their chemotherapy. Seriously? Jesus. And yeah, this isn't just people I happen to know. We all know people in that position. I mean, a lot of us worry that we're next. In a recent poll, two-thirds of people said they were worried about being able to pay for an unexpected medical bill. You know who else is worried? Billionaire CEOs. A few weeks after I started working on this podcast, Jeff Bezos of Amazon and Jamie Dimon, who runs J.P. Morgan Chase, one of the biggest banks on the planet, and Warren Buffett announced they were teaming up to start a new enterprise that would, they hoped, get the cost of healthcare under control. Because, you know, they got a ton of employees who need healthcare. Warren Buffett called healthcare a hungry tapeworm on the American economy. You know, honestly, I love that guy. And so, this is a big story. Like, the title of this episode, This is Water. That's from this speech by the writer David Foster Wallace. It gets passed around on the internet a lot. And he opens with this joke. There are these two young fish swimming along. And an older fish passes by and he says, Morning, boys. How's the water? And then one of the young fish turns to the other and says, What the hell is water? Sound familiar? We're all surrounded by it. The cost of health care nestles itself into every big decision. How we have babies, where we choose to work. And it's there... Every time we stub our toe and wonder, if my toenail falls off, can I afford to see somebody about that? Like, before even taking off our sock. So, you know, fertile ground for reporting. And you know what else I'm finding out? A lot of what we think we know turns out to be weird and complicated. For instance, you hear a lot that healthcare eats more than a sixth of America's gross domestic product, and it's growing. That's a federal statistic. Warren Buffett quotes it, lots of people do. But what does it really mean? I mean, like, what can I compare it to? Like, if I'm imagining the U.S. economy as like a pie chart and healthcare is this big slice, how big is healthcare compared to other slices? Like, I don't know, transportation, housing? 
what are the other big slices anyway? I spent a day recently calling a bunch of economists trying to get an answer. It was harder than I expected. That's right after this. Okay, what does it mean that healthcare is more than a sixth of the economy? What are we comparing it to? Here's Jay Bhattacharya. He literally wrote the book on health economics. It's a textbook. He teaches at Stanford. That's a great question. I mean, I, I, you should, I, before I answer Actually, that. as a health economist, he's not really looking at the rest of the pie. That's a job for a macroeconomist. But, but that's a fantastic question. I, and I, what he could tell me was how the healthcare slice compares to the other slices depends on how you slice up the pie. Like, is health insurance part of the healthcare slice? Or is that part of the financial industry? Are wheelchair makers part of the slice called manufacturing sector or part of healthcare? So the way we slice pies is purely arbitrary. Purely arbitrary. That's Justin Wolfers breaking my heart. He's a famous macroeconomist, teaches at the University of Michigan, writes for the New York Times. You'll often hear someone say, such and such is the second biggest industry. Yeah. And one really easy way to do that is divide the pie into a thousand different industries, and it's really easy to be the second biggest slice. So maybe I'm asking this question the wrong way. Enter another famous macroeconomist. Austin Goolsby teaches at the University of Chicago. He was chair of President Barack Obama's Council of Economic Advisors. What's most notable about the healthcare expenses is not objectively what share they are of the GDP. What's indisputable is that that share, if you measure it consistently, it's double, triple, quadruple in like not a very long period of time. But define it however you want. It's gone way, way up in the last 30 years. Okay, so that's depressing. But as a reporter, it did cheer me up. We really do have a crisis where healthcare keeps getting less affordable. And a lot of basic questions don't have clear answers. I'm on to something. Unfortunately, that something includes me. I mean, this is a great idea for a show and all, but what about my family's health insurance? We're healthy enough, thank God. But we've got a few pre-existing conditions, certain docs we got to check in with. Up until now, my family's been able to buy our health insurance from my old employer, which has a really good plan. But we won't be able to do that through 2019, and that looks like it could be tough. In September, I pulled up the healthcare.gov website to see what Obamacare plans might look like. Maybe they're not so bad. And the plans for 2019 won't be on there for quite a while, not where I live, but they probably won't be better than the 2018 plans. Are any of our doctors on those plans? Okay, find doctor hospital. Okay. Uh, so none of the doctors are there. That totally sucks. So now the question is, what happens if we go out of network? Is there an out-of-pocket maximum? And I think the answer may be there isn't. In which case we are effed. Okay, couple terms there. Out-of-pocket maximum, out-of-network. One part of the Obamacare law is a limit, a maximum, on what you can end up paying in a given year. But I think that's only if you see doctors that take your particular health insurance plan. They are in-network. So if we saw our regular doctors anyway, if we went out-of-network, was there any limit to what we'd end up paying? Summary of benefits. What is not included? Yeah. Yeah, nope. No limit. That sounded bad. How bad? You know, I went to the website for our insurance company to see what bills they were paying for us this year. All right, let's go back. I'm looking up our coverage, like what we've actually done this year. 
a little anxious about it. Yeah, there's one for like $5,700. There's one for like $6,200. No big. Okay, about those charges. I've got a heart condition I was born with. It doesn't bother me, doesn't cause me any trouble, but it could become a problem someday, so it's got to be monitored every year. A test and a doc visit. But there's only one place in Chicago that has a special clinic for people with my type of condition. And those two charges, the ones that add up to $12,000, one is the test, the other is the doc visit. Holy crap. There were other big charges, like... A few weeks after I talked with Pablo, that's the dad from my kid's school, the one who found out he had a heart attack after he felt a little out of breath. Well, a couple weeks after I talked with him, I was doing some morning exercise, and I felt a twinge in the middle of my chest, okay? And I ignored it till the next evening, by which time I was also feeling really easily winded, like just walking down the street. You know, that night, I went to the emergency room. Good news, I did not have a heart attack. The twinge was probably a muscle thing, and it turned out the widenedness was a viral thing I was getting. And my old employer's insurance is really good. So I paid a couple hundred bucks, but the sticker price was in the mid-four figures. Yeah, <laughs> did I mention the same thing happened a second time a couple weeks later? It's embarrassing. The people at the ER were super nice about it. They said this kind of thing happens all the time. Again, mid-four-figures sticker price, which, again, we didn't pay thanks to our insurance. And then in the spring, our son had a crazy pain in his hip in the middle of the night. Called the doc. Doc said, take him to the ER. He didn't ultimately have anything scary wrong with him, but we were there till like 5 in the morning, which, because insurance, was the part we remembered and complained about and not the crazy bill. Flash forward, it's September. I'm looking at that Obamacare website. Later that day, my wife gets home. We talk. Here's what I have so far. Oh, I'm almost scared to know. She takes it pretty calmly. I tell her, it reminds me of something she's always saying. How if you have the right kind of job, the kind with really good benefits, it's kind of like you live someplace, like a country, where they've got like a good national health plan. Someplace where you don't have to worry about what it costs to go to the doctor. Someplace, you know, like Sweden. Those are the kind of health benefits my old job offered, and that's why we are paying them really high premiums this year, so we can stay on their health insurance. We've been paying that premium to continue to live in Sweden this year. Mm -hmm. So we are going to be leaving Sweden. Well, that really sucks, because I really liked living in Sweden. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Can we get visas to Sweden now? <laughs> Luckily, she thinks ahead. She's been working on another plan for a while. She's been a one-person shop, but she brought on an employee this year just for this purpose. If we can swing the premiums and if the insurance companies take us, maybe we could buy group insurance and get a plan that covers our doctors because her business, legit, has additional employees beyond our family. This has already cost us a bunch of money, paying payroll tax like Social Security, plus unemployment insurance, plus hiring a payroll service to make sure none of that stuff gets screwed up. But insurance brokers say they won't actually be able to do the paperwork, get the insurance company's blessing, till later. And if the insurance companies do not like us, it is no more Sweden. So yeah, I've got a personal reason for taking this project on. A couple of them. First, me and my wife and our son, 
We're in this thing. We've got to figure this out. I mean, say we do get another year in Sweden. What about the year after that? The whole thing is definitely not getting better on its own. So learning more about this stuff, that is important for me. And second, this is the job I definitely want. I've put a lot of years into building some skills, pulling back the curtain, showing how the dark machinery works, digging into the weird stuff, sharing it. Also, I think we can all use each other's company in this. I mean, we're screwed, but we're not alone. You, me, Warren Buffett. Lots of us can't get insurance through our jobs. Or you have a job where you never seem to get enough hours to qualify for the insurance. Or the insurance you've got leaves you hanging. Or you run a business and... All right, I'll stop. The point is, this show aims to get us all a little less scared and confused about the mess we're all in. So, in the next few weeks, you will hear stories from surprising places and people who can teach us a thing or two. Like people who work at Renaissance fairs. Have you gotten the chance to speak with Robin Hood yet? Robin! Come forward! They've made two and a half million dollars worth of bills go away. And then there's the story of how one drug got its price tag of more than half a million dollars a year. It involves a Connecticut housewife, a 1970s TV star, and a Las Vegas area distributor of popcorn and nacho cheese sauce. I mean, these things happen in the movies. They don't happen to real people. But uh, that's what happened. And in episode two, you'll hear from a woman who made crazy sacrifices so her family could have health insurance. And how, in the meantime, she changed the course of history. I was so determined. Like, I was not going to go through all of this for nothing. Oh, man, I love that one. That's next time on An Arm and a Leg. You can find us and subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts and at armandalegshow.com. If you like this show, tell your friends. Build this community. Post on Facebook, tweet at your friends, email them, stand over their shoulders while they press play. And please, get in touch. Let me know what you think. Share a story if you want. We will definitely be collecting those. Send a voice memo or an email to dan at armandalegshow.com. Or leave a message at 724-276-6534. That is 724-ARM-N-LEG. Finally, if you are feeling it, please consider supporting the show financially. We're set up on a service called Patreon. There are some fun rewards, including arm and a leg band-aids. And every dollar helps. There is no institution behind this show. Our world headquarters is the three-season sun porch behind my son's bedroom. There's a big, fat Patreon button at armandalegshow.com. And depending on where you listen, your podcast player may have a donate button. That works, too. Thank you for giving that some thought. I really appreciate it. Either way, I'll catch you next time. Till then, take care of yourself. This episode was produced by me, Dan Weissman. Our editor is Whitney Henry Lester. Daisy Rosario is our consulting producer. Our music is by Dave Weiner and Adam Raimonda. Adam mixed this episode. Thanks so much to the generous donors who've made our launch possible. Thanks to Public Narrative for acting as fiscal sponsor for our launch, allowing those donations to be tax-deductible. Public Narrative is a nonprofit that uses training and storytelling to elevate public discourse and promote democracy. It trains both nonprofits and journalists, and it supports journalism on subjects like the cost of healthcare that are not fully covered by existing outlets. They're online at publicnarrative.org. Thank you. To borrow a phrase from former Vice President Joe Biden, it's a big f- deal.